Good morning, everyone. With Hashem's help, we're making a seum on tractate Nedarim. Big hearty mazel tov to uh, Rabbi Dr. J, to Rafal, to Rabbi Yeye, and um, Barry, and the others uh, join us online. And um, so, it's uh, there are eleven chapters in the Dodim, and in the Dodim talks about vows, and when you make a vow, versus shavua, shavuos is a separate tractate for shavuos. The reason why the Dodim is in the order of women. You know, Shavuos is in the order of Nezikin. Why, why what's the connection between vows and, and uh, women? So the Rambam says because, because uh, part of a, a woman who makes a vow, the husband gets to, if it affects the marriage or it affects her, or the father, but the, the father only a limited time, only until the age of 12 and a half. And if she's betrothed, then he has to share it with the husband. But the husband, the rest of her life, she's married. So the majority of the time, it's the husband that gets to nullify, nullify the vows. So that's why it's included in the order of nashim, of marriage, relationship. The, um, there's an essential difference between the darim and shavua. Shavuos, as the Gemara says, Shavuos is on, on the person. A commitment. I swear. I make a commitment. I take an oath. A vow, however, is on the object. It's not on the person. It's not a personal commitment. A vow means I'm saying that this thing becomes sacred to me. Just like you take an animal and you make it a sacred animal. Do your words, right? You sanctify the animal as being coming sacred, and then you're not allowed to benefit from the animal. It becomes kachin. So too, this item becomes, becomes holy. So much so that if you make a vow that something is prohibited to the whole world, to everyone, then it actually has the laws of kachin. Is me'ila, if you, if, you, uh, you know, if you use it for your own personal, personal benefit, because Hashem gave us the power and this even begins before, before Bar Mitzvah. The year before Bar Mitzvah, that Hashem gives us the power to take something physical and turn it into something sacred. And that's why there's a difference, many differences between an oath and a vow, like a mitzvah. You can't swear not to do a mitzvah, because you already sworn at Sinai. We all stood at Sinai, every one of us. So we already committed, to, so you can't override that. But I could make a vow. I say that matzah is prohibited to me. Matzah is, is sacred to me. So you're not allowed to eat matzah. Because the mitzvah is on the person. The commitment that I made at Sinai is me, that I'm going to eat matzah. But the, the object, the object is, is, is a material object, is a secular object. Is, so if I, I have the power to take this object and make it sacred to me, I'm not allowed to benefit from this object. So then I would be prohibited from... from if you said this matzah, though, you could eat other matzah. Oh, very good. Now, one of the ways of you can, you can break the vow, the husband or the father can break the vow, but then you can also release the vow. The wise man could release the vow. According to the Rambam, it's in Parshas Matis, it's actually a mitzvah, one of the 613 mitzvahs. It, 
it's uh, mitzvah 405, uh, 406, that uh, the wise one could release the vow. Mitzvah 407 is you're not allowed to desecrate your vow. And you even get lashes, according to many opinions, you get lashes if you, if you violate your vow. Now, how does this release work? How does it work? And we actually do, before Rosh Hashanah, we do Hataras Nadana. You release vows. How does it work? So, you have to find an opening. You come to the wise one, and the way we learn it is, because it says, Balyachal Devari, the mother says it's really, it's hanging on a hair. It's like, we barely hinted at in the Torah. It says, Balyachal Devari, so you're not allowed to desecrate your own word, meaning your own word you can't desecrate. If someone else releases it for you, then it is okay. Or the word Devari is extra, so it teaches us, should have said, Balyachal, don't desecrate your, your word. But it doesn't have to add the word, the word, the word. It comes to teach us, your word you can't desecrate, but uh, uh, the Talmud Chacham, the rabbi could release it for you. How does he release it for you? So there's a Pesach, an opening. There's an opening, and then there's regret. There's an argument whether regret helps. Halacha is that regret does help, but there's a big argument. What's the halacha? Regret means I regret. I regret that it was a moment of anger. Uh, crime of passion, I lost myself and I made a vow and I regret I ever made the vow. But then there's an opening. An opening according to everyone else. What's an opening? An opening means I don't regret the vow. I made a vow and I wanted to make the vow and there's a benefit from making the vow. But I didn't consider all the consequences. Had I known all the consequences of my vow, I wouldn't have even though I benefited from the vow. But had I taken into consideration, there's other consequences I didn't take into consideration, which would override the benefit. In other words, the, 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 the cons are maybe more than the pros. I didn't think of it at the time. I only thought of the pros, which I liked, but I didn't think of the cons. Had I thought of the cons, and that's why to, open, to make an opening, you have to sit down. You have to sit down, you have to deliberate. It's very, you have to be very wise, because it has to be genuine. The person says that, that really, I'm, they're, they're, I'm happy with the vow. I'm, I don't regret the vow. I'm not regretting it. There were good things that came out of the vow. But I didn't take into consideration the other consequences. And had I, had I known the other consequences, I would not have made the vow. It has to be genuine. So the wise one has to really think clearly and come up with an opening, if you would have thought of this, would you have made the vow, you would have realized these other in, uh, consequences. Now, then, the mother says that um, an unforeseen circumstance, however, you can't open with an unforeseen circumstance. For example, you made a vow, I'm never going to benefit from this, from this person. And it, then it turns out this person became the mayor of the city, or the scribe of the city. <laughs> I have no choice. It was an unforeseen for the circumstance. So, something that's unforeseen, the mother says that that's not, that can, cannot be used as an opening. So the, the, here we have an argument what that means. The Rambam says what that means is, in this case, it's because he would have made the vow. 
course he would have made the vow. And he would have preferred that the person should never become the mayor in town. <laughs> this mazel, that this, this, this nudnik became the mayor in town. He has no choice. He has, he has to deal with him now. So that's why he's trying to undo the get, the nether, the vow. But it's not, it's, it doesn't work. Because really, you would want the vow. And you would be happy if he never became. It's just, it's just unforeseen circumstances beyond your control that something against your will happened. Now you want to take it back. It doesn't work. You can't take it back. So, so that's how the Rambam understands. In a case where you would have made the vow and you would have wished that the person would never, never win the election. And you would never have to deal with this person. But the unforeseen circumstances, life doesn't work out the way we plan. This happens, and now I have no choice. I have to deal with it. So that's not an opening. That's not a legitimate opening. But other Rishadim say, no, that, that's, not the, that's not the understanding. Their understanding is, even if, you, even if you genuinely regret it, that you say, you know, now that this unforeseen circumstance happened, I would never have made the vow. It doesn't work. Why? Because what's an opening? An opening versus regret. An opening, as we discussed, is that there are benefits. There are pros to the vow. And I'm happy for those pros. But I didn't take into consideration, you ask, the wise one has to sit and really deliberate and try to find an opening. If you would have realized that there's other, there's cons, there's other consequences that you didn't take into consideration, would you have made the vow? Maybe the cons override the pros. If a person says, I wouldn't have made the vow, that's an opening, you can release him from the vow. <coughs> but in the case of an unforeseen circumstance, if you, had you told him at the time that he made the vow, had you known that this might happen, would you make the vow? The answer is yes, I would take the chances. What are the chances that this crazy thing is going to happen? Anything in life could happen. But even had I known then, had I thought of then, the possibility that this would happen, I would have thought to myself, you know, I'll take my chances. What, what are the odds? I'll, I'll take my bet. What are the odds that this, this is going to happen? So I, since he would have made the vow anyway, therefore it's not an opening. You can't release it because you would have made the vow. So in unforeseen circumstances, it doesn't help. According to the most, according to the Yishenim, argue with the Rambam, uh, this is not an opening. And, and that's the, 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 the um, we do Akkadis Nadarim before Yerushalna. The question is, what is the Kol Nidre that we do? You're, you're, how could you release a vow? There's some, some say you shouldn't, you shouldn't, shouldn't you say Kol Nidre. How could you release a vow that you made? There's no mention in the Kol Nidre of regret, of an opening. There's a chazan. Where's, where's the bezin? You need three people. Okay, so the custom is, the Jewish custom is you actually have three people. The chazan, two people hold the Torah on the side, together with the chazan, so you have a bezdin, you have three. But there's no mention of regret. Okay, according to our, our, our Nusuch. Um, so someone is say that... Um, I think it's in the, it's a, it could be it's in the, it's an addition that we added. That uh, the focus is actually on the vows going forward. That any vows I'm saying now, that any vows I'm going to make, I will make, 
the indana, the shabana that I will make. Any vows I'm making in the future, in the coming year, yem kippurim zead, yem kippurim till next yem kippur. We're talking about the vows. We're talking about the vows that you're going to make. So the vows that you're going to make. Yeah. So if you you can you can now cancel a vow that you're going to make. A vow that you're going to make from this Yom Kippur to the next Yom Kippur. We don't say from this Yom Kippur to last Yom Kippur. We say, Yom Kippurim Zed, Yom Kippurim Abba. The next Yom Kippur. So I'm, I'm saying beforehand that now, from now I regret it. From now I am canceling it. I'm saying initially that all the vows will be canceled. In the Hattaris and Dodim, we do both. Hattaris and Dodim, we do, we're saying that we regret all the vows that we did make. We, we made in the past, and we're also, and then I'm also, from now, canceling all the vows I'm going to make in the coming year. You know, because Rosh Hashanah, especially Rosh Hashanah, it's the end of the year, it's a time of justice, so you, want, you have to be careful. So that's why you regret making all your vows, and maybe even keep your vows. And vows, you have to be careful, because even if you take upon yourself a mitzvah, that's why it's important to say Bli Neder. If you take upon yourself a mitzvah and you do it, and you have a mind you're going to do it once, twice, three times, and you're going to do it, it becomes a vow. Even if you don't say it, it becomes a vow. It becomes an obligation. And you're, 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 you're committed, you're obligated. So that's why it's important when you take a good resolution upon yourself, always say Bli Neder, that I'm not, I'm not committing. So if, if, if I slip up, I'm, I didn't violate anything. So, so you have to be careful. But there is a, a, a fundamental difference between the release of the wise one and the, the father and his daughter and the husband and his wife, Hafaras Nadar. Huge difference. The wise one uproots the vow as if it never happened. You know, you regret it or you, op- you have an opening. Had you known, you would never have made the vow in the first place. So it's as if the vow never happened. Hafara, the word hafara means to smash, to destroy. So you're not, you're not uprooting it, it's just going forward, from here going forward. And um, the difference is, according to Hasidus, the difference is everything in the Torah is here to teach us a personal lesson, our own service of Hashem. So a neder represents person is bound, you're bound, you're, you're addicted to something, you're tied to something, you can't break those bonds. So how do you break the bond that's tying us down, that's schlepping us down? How do you break the chains? You're bound to it. So you have three ways. How far as the father could nullify the husband? Or the wise one could release it. What's the difference? It depends. The father is when you feel that Hashem, my father in heaven, I have a relationship with Hashem. Or I feel I'm married to Hashem. I love Hashem. I feel a love to Hashem. Like a husband and wife. I feel a love. So when you have that connection, that can override the Yetzirah. All your addictions, all your negati- negativity, your love for Hashem smashes and breaks all your bonds and your handcuffs and your, your, your attachments because it overrides it. 
yes, I'm tempted, and yes, I have certain attractions, urges, and instincts, but my love to Hashem overrides it. So I break. I overcome. I'm able to overcome. That sense that Hashem is my father, and that feeling that I'm married to Hashem, and I love Hashem, and Hashem loves me, that has the power to override, to give me the strength to be able to overcome the pull, the powerful pull of the Yetzirah. But then there's a much deeper way. That's the Chacham, the wise one. The wise one, who is a Chacham? Ezo Chacham. Who's Ezo Chacham? The Mishnah in Ethics of Our Father says, Mikaladam. But the Gemara says, Ezo Chacham, Harayas and Whoever sees, sees the future, who sees the, the eventual consequences. That's the literal meaning. Someone who can see ahead of most people can't see beyond the tip of their own nose you know we just live in the moment a wise one is able to see it's like a chess game you see eight moves ahead okay I'm going to do this and that's going to lead to this consequence that's going to lead to that consequence so you take it all into consideration that's a wise one who thinks ahead but the Chassidim says on a deeper level who sees what's Hanoilad? how the world is constantly give, be, Hashem is giving birth we are in Hashem's birthing room we are in the maternity world. Hashem is constantly giving birth to this world. Hashem is constantly creating the world. The Chacham sees it. The Chacham, the wise one, can see it. He sees godliness. He sees how this world is pulsating with the godly energy. He sees how this world is dynamic. This world is so alive. This world is so vibrant. This world is continuously and constantly changing the divine energy into the material, into the physical. And that's why the Chacham the true Chacham has no Yetzirah. Why doesn't he have a Yetzirah? He's flesh and blood, a human being. He's not tempted. He sees a, a taiva. He's not tempted. Why not? Of course he's a human being of flesh and blood. But the reason he has no Yetzirah is because there's no eye to lust. <laughs> because he sees godliness. So there's no eye. There's no ego. There's no eye. He sees godliness. His whole substance, his whole being is, is godly. There's no rigid uh, ego, eyes, his whole, all he senses is the divine, godly energy that's constantly transforming itself into you and I and everything. So, of course, he's a human being, and of course, he, he, there's temptations, and there's this, this physical, beautiful world that's there, and it's pulling us, but there's no eye to lust. So that's why he says, you want to release yourself from the Yitzhah, from all your attachments. What's the best way? Go to the Chacham, go to the Rebbe, Go to the tzaddik, the Rebbe, Haroyas and Neulad, who sees godliness. To him, godliness is alive. It's not just a story that we heard. To us, most of us, it's a story that we heard. There's a God in this world, and there's a heaven, and there's a higher and hell. The tzaddik, the Rebbe, sees godliness. There's no ego. Egoless. There's no eye to lust. There's no eye to love. All there is is Hashem. So then, you've uprooted it. You've... you've released it as if it never happened there's no there's no there's no eye to lust so therefore there's no problem when you're trying to overcome the eight harder because Hashem is my father and Hashem is my husband and I love Hashem okay you can smash you can smash the eight harder you can overcome it's a tremendous struggle and then you overcome the tzaddik he has no struggle he has no eight harder why doesn't he have eight harder because he sees the nailah 
So a person who has a problem with, diction, uh, with addictions, who needs a nether? Even on a simple level, who needs a nether? The mother says you shouldn't make a nether. You, you need a kapara, you need an atonement. You have to bring a sacrifice, you're a sinner. Anyone who makes a nether is a sinner, and anyone who fulfills his nether is a sinner. You shouldn't have made a nether in the first place. You're not allowed to, unless you feel a weakness. You feel that the Yetzirah is getting to you, and you just don't have the strength to fight it. So when you make a vow, it's a commitment. You make a vow, it gives you the strength to overcome. So how do you deal? So a person who needs to make a vow, what's what's your answer? How do you get rid of it? What's the answer? The answer is, go to the Chacham. He'll release you from your vows. Plug in, connect with the Rebbe, connect with the Tzaddik, who sees godliness, and then you too will give you the strength that you won't even have to struggle. You don't have to smack you, you don't have to struggle. There's no eye to lust. You, you, your whole life becomes godly, and you don't have to worry about, about the Yetzirah. Okay, let's make the Siyam on, on the Dodim. So the last Mishnah discusses, if a, in the beginning they used to say that if a woman would come and tell her husband that uh, she, got she, got, she was raped and her husband is a Koyan. And if she's raped, a Koyan, she can't live with him. So they used to believe her. But then they said they don't believe her because she, she found someone better. <laughs> and uh, she feels, I mean, she'll make up a story that she was raped. He says, I don't have any witnesses. There's no one to corroborate. I'm just telling you, this happened to me. So therefore, we don't believe her. So Gemara tells a story. A few stories. We'll tell the last story here. He says, says, Who means It was a person. The husband was out of the house and the a lover, a lover came to, you know, to be with a wife. Her, her amour, amour, armor, how do you say the word? Came. Amour. Amour. Amour came to, but I'll, I'll submit the base. So he, uh, the husband suddenly showed up, came home early from work, <laughs> came home for lunch. <laughs> so, uh, so he, he tore open the curtain and he ran away. So Amarava, it's a shari. It's a shari. She's allowed to, nothing happened. They didn't commit any sin. There was no adultery. Because if he's saying that he sinned, he would have hidden. He wouldn't have shown himself. He showed himself. So it means he had nothing to hide. Yeah, he was in the house. It wasn't appropriate. It's yichud. But nothing, nothing happened. Then he says, Again, another story. She was having fun. She was with her, with her lover, and the husband shows up. So he went and hid. There was some... some uh, some type of food there, and the snake, snake tasted from a, a poisonous snake. He was watching from his hiding place. He was watching how the snake, the snake, uh, partook of this of this uh, of this tachla shachlin. 
boy, muttered the basil lemecha. And then he sees that the husband wants to eat from it. He doesn't know that it's poisonous. How blatant it! He didn't know that it was poisonous. He was about to to die to poison himself. So I'm a little annoyed of the techem. He couldn't. He couldn't. <laughs> he came out of hiding and he says, "Don't eat." <laughs> he revealed himself. He says, "Don't eat." The, the, the snake ate from it. It's poison. So the question: Okay, he's a nice guy. He saved the guy's life, but he revealed, exposed himself. So, so I'm a rava in Sushan. Yeah. So the rava says, "No, nothing happened in Sushari. He definitely did not commit adultery. She's allowed to live with her husband. Here, it's not a question of a koyin. Even he saw because she did it willingly. She was, uh, you know, if she commits adultery willingly, she can't live with her husband. But he's allowed to live with her husband. She's allowed to live with her husband. Why? Because if he committed adultery, he would have kept quiet. He would be happy that let the husband eat, let him die. Let's see if a person who commits adultery will also murder. Not a, it's not a general statement that anyone who commits adultery is a murderer. But in this particular case, the woman he committed adultery with and her husband, he would be very happy if the husband dies. <laughs> so he can, he can have, her to, have her to himself. He doesn't have to sneak around anymore. So if you can do adultery in this case, in this particular case, the husband of the, of the adulteress the adulterer would be very happy if he died. He didn't say anything. He could have stayed, stayed hidden. So, so he says, it's obvious. What does Rav have to come to teach us? Isn't it obvious? Obviously, if he exposed himself, you think if he was guilty, he would expose himself? He said, I would think, really, did a prohibition. Really, he did commit adultery. By the umbele, why did he expose himself and reveal himself? Because the nichalid lelemus bal, because it's on the contrary, it's better for him that the husband should not die. Tevi insele mayim gedufim yim tokum stadim yinim, because we know that when something is sinful, when something is risky, something is dangerous, something is prohibited, there's a bigger yetsahara. So if, you know, once it's available, it's not as exciting. It's unavailable. You have to sneak and you have to hide and you have to this. Then, then it's exciting. So maybe on the contrary, he wanted to save his life, so now you can continue sneaking and have a relationship with her. So that's why Kamash and that's what Rav is saying. No, we don't say that because because obviously, why why not? Makes sense. Maybe he exposed because he wants to have that thrill. There's no thrill anymore. If it's available, where's the thrill? So they're thinking, so that's why Rabbis come to teach us. No, but why not, says Tasmus? Because he doesn't know it. We know it. We know it from the Pasuk that when something is prohibited, it's much more exciting. It's the thrill. But he doesn't know it. He, he thinks he's in love with her. He lusts her. He can't live without her. He can't. He's thinking about her twenty four seven. So surely he would be happy if he ate the poison, and he died. So he can. She's available to him. And that's why we say. So why did he expose himself? So he must be innocent. There's nothing going on. He has no affair with her. He happened to be in the house. 
but he was it was embarrassing because it's not appropriate for a yichud to be in the house alone. So he, so he hid. Why but, is it obvious to the Gemara that someone who would commit a moral would have a fear right. would be willing to be a murderer also? No, not. Firstly, here he's a passive murderer, and it's not in yeah. general he's going out and killing. He's not a murderer. Yeah, but but in this particular case, and not save their life. Because if you can do that to a wife, if you can do that to a wife, knowing that she'll become prohibited to her husband for the rest of her life, if they're caught, she's making her, her prohibited to her husband for the rest of his life. He doesn't. It doesn't bother him to destroy the marriage. It doesn't bother him to destroy his lover's wife, life, and the children. It's gonna. It's gonna ruin her. Just he wants to have fun for the moment, so he cares about you know he's only thinking about himself. He doesn't care about uh, any consequences. He's not thinking about consequences. He thought about consequences. How could you do this to the to the to the woman? She's becoming prohibited to her husband. Every time she's with her husband, she's violating a prohibition. If they're caught, it's the marriage is over. I mean, it's it's it's. So he doesn't care. So he's going to care, and he didn't murder. He just said quietly. He's not. He's not a murderer. He didn't take a knife and kill him. He just keep quiet. <laughs> His, he got lucky. <laughs> so that. So that's what he said. That's what the pasuk says that that you you It's not we know for certain, but 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 you And so therefore, also considered murder. He doesn't do anything. No, there's a prohibition. If you see someone, a Jew dying, you have to you have an obligation. Well, but he, he didn't, no, he's not committed murder, but you're so violating then, a prohibition. So if you see a Jew than, die, you can stop violating him. violating his neighbor's wife right. is worse than, than uh, an actual murder, because it's not really an actual murder. Okay, but, but you, since you can stop a murder, you can stop it, and you didn't stop it, so therefore, all right, that's what he says, you're right. It's not, you can't, he doesn't get capital punishment for even if he's if if you let it happen, there's no capital punishment. You didn't do anything. You just you just didn't help him. Um, even even if you caused someone to murder, but it was indirect, you don't get you don't get the, the capital punishment. Here, I didn't cause the murder. I just was silent. So, but he calls it shvichas damim, right? But the, at the end of the day, you you stood silently while you allowed the person to die. Most, most modern people would disagree with this. They would say that. Because to them, adultery is not a sin. <laughs> For a Jew, adult, one-time adultery, the marriage, it's over. Your life is over. It's finished. It's, it's kaput. Here, it's, what's the big deal? They celebrated it. What's the big deal? They're proud of it. What's the big deal? Is there a situation where the, the husband can forgive the adulterer and continue? No, no, no. Had do we have a minion? Oh, we have a minion. Say Kaddish. I have no left on the